Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information. We're coming off a red-hot weekend. The second week of February was pretty fun, pretty eventful weekend. I hung out with a bunch of guys I haven't seen in a while, went to the bars, went to a party. I mean, it was absolutely good times. We also had a UFC event Saturday, and after watching one of these uh, after watching another, I should say, of these UFC Apex cards, let me just say that I am over the Apex, right? The Apex is so boring, and we got another mediocre UFC card this weekend. But nonetheless, we'll be covering all the fights, talking about the results, because some of it was shocking. As well, we're going to be talking about the Super Bowl, which went down yesterday. There was some good, there was some bad, there was just some, ugh, can't believe that happened. As always, going to be talking about the 48 Laws of Power. Um, we're on Laws 30, 31, and 32, um, as we're almost at 48, so that series will come to an end. Going to talk a bit about some UFC updates, and actually, yeah, we'll look at some new movie trailers, uh, Super Bowl commercials, all sorts of fun stuff on today's episode. But yeah, let's get right on into everything. Life's been good. Ladies and gentlemen, life has been good. Staying busy. I actually have to apply for some internships, touch up the resume today. I got to get out there. At least not even apply to some internships, but at least look at and kind of take some notes on what could be potentially out there because, I mean, summer's coming. It's going to be May soon. I go on spring break in like under two weeks, which is kind of odd because I'm not really like ready for spring break. Like I'm not really tired of school yet, you know, so I, I don't really know, but. We'll see. We'll see what comes of the future. I already know God's got me. And when you got God, you got all you need already. Let's get on in to everything we're going to be talking about today. Kicking us off with a little UFC news. I do have some uh, a big announcement, a little breaking news. And this is all thanks to the lovely Ariel Helwani. Of course, Ariel Helwani, notable uh, journalist for the MMA community, even sports in general. I mean, he does all sorts of stuff. But uh, he recently announced, or basically on his show today, he came up with stuff that the new favored main event for UFC 300, that's right, the major UFC 300, is rumored to be your welterweight champion Leon Edwards taking on Hamzat Chemaev, which... I do find very fascinating. I'm here for it. I would very much enjoy it. But, you know, um, there, there has been some talk that apparently Stipe Miocic was offered to fight Tom Aspinall at UFC 300 for the interim heavyweight championship, and Stipe Miocic turned down that fight. Of course, they were aiming to have Stipe and John Jones, but John Jones had to decline. As well, Alex Pereira announced he will not be moving up to heavyweight this year, which means we can all assume that Alex Pereira will not be fighting on UFC uh, 300. And of course, along with the light heavyweight lines, Magomed Ankalaya, if you're currently number three ranked men's light heavyweight, was mentioning uh, fighting, wanting to fight Jamal Hill after his next fight. And so it's looking like Jamal Hill versus Alex Pereira will be the main event of UFC 301 in Brazil. Also announced on Ariel Hawani's podcast, I mean, they were going over so much stuff to air his show, I should say, not podcast. But uh, Arnold Allen, Arnold Allen, notable men's featherweight ranked number six, is aiming to return in the summer on a potential uh, UK card going down in July. So I'm sure there'll be a lot more rumors about fights to come in July. Um, 
And as well, they also mentioned that Israel Asanya versus Drissus Duplessis is in talks for UFC 300. But I'm hoping that if they could do Adesanya and Duplessis and Hamzat Leon, that would really save this card. But as for now, the main rumor, Leon Edwards versus Hamzat Chimaev. Just a rumor, by the way. Just a rumor. There's no validity to anything right now. And it appears Dana White is kind of struggling to cook up a main event. I mean, it's tomorrow, tomorrow, February 13th, we will be officially two months away from the card. And we still don't know. And we, we've gotten so many good fights. All right. First off, the card is absolutely loaded. We've looked at UFC 300 a, num- a numerous amount of times, but there's just something missing. You know, they don't really have a main event still, which is super weird. Usually you get the main event and build around it. You don't build the card, then get a main event. We'll see what Dana White and Hunter and uh, who, who else? It's Dana, Hunter, someone else, the executive board who builds the fights. But I, I have good faith in the UFC. Not too many big uh, official fight announcements. They did announce a fun one for UFC 301 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil on May 4th between Joe Anderson Brito and Jack Shore. Joe Anderson Brito is 4-1 in the UFC, uh, and he's just been on a finishing streak. Knockouts galore, been doing absolutely amazing. He's 16-3-1 professionally, and he actually holds wins over Diego Lopez, Johnson Pierce, and Andre Feely knockouts over uh, Jonathan Pearson, Andre Feely. Very, very impressive. He actually held titles in the Iraqa Fight League and the Fusion FC Fight League. His opponent, Jack the Tank Shore, 6-1 in the UFC, recently moved up to featherweight from bantamweight after losing to Ricky Simone. He hails from Wales, and he is 17-1 professionally. Big wins over Makwan Americani, Timor Valev, and Hunter Zur. He was a champion in Cage Warriors. That should be a very fun fight. I'm going with Joe Anderson Brito. I, I think Joe Anderson Brito is an absolute killer. And by the way, the winner of this, don't, don't be surprised if you see them taking on someone like Alex Caceres, Edson Barbosa, and Bryce Mitchell, so, and someone who's kind of like a gatekeeper in the UFC right now. Don't be surprised if you see any of, the, any of those guys fighting one another. Also announced the fight between Jake Hadley and Charles Johnson on a card on May 11th. Don't really have a location for that card, but May 11th, Jake Hadley, Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson just beat Azat Maxum, the undefeated Kyrgyzstan, and now he's back at it. Doing his thing, he takes on Jake White Kong Hadley, who's 2-2 two two in the UFC, 10-2 professionally, wins over Malcolm Gordon and Carlos Candelario are his notable ones. He was a flyweight champion in Cage Warriors and EFC Fight League. Uh, as for Charles, I mean, huge winner as like Masoom last time out. He's also beaten Jimmy Flicks, Laga Suma Lagoff. His job will always be on the line when he's fighting. But Charles, happy to see you. I do lean towards Jake Hadley for that fight, though. May 11th. Wow, that is, that'll officially be my summer. My summer starts May 4th, actually. So UFC 301 will be a great way to kick off the summer for me. Other fights announced. UFC 302 going down um, June 1st. Doesn't have a location yet, but does have a date for that 302 card. I wonder where that will be. As Jocelyn LaPantera Edwards will be taking on Aileen Fiona Perez in the women's bantamweight division. Aileen Perez is very notable. She's the girl who uh, was twerking after she won her UFC fight. Very, very odd. Uh, Jocelyn Edwards, I mean, just decision fighter. Fighting for her job every time she fights. 
and recently announced today the last big fight, if you will, going down on that May 11th card, which doesn't have a date or location, as Terrence McKinney, T-Rex, will be back to take on Esteban Rebovich. Esteban Rebovich, 12-1, professionally lost last time out. And Terrence McKinney, 5-3 in the UFC, All he's 15-6, all 21 of his professional fights have never gone the distance. Absolutely crazy. Uh, I'd say his biggest win is probably over Matt Frivola, which was in his UFC debut. But uh, it's always fun to watch Terrence McKinney fight in that one. I lean towards Alan Perez and Terrence McKinney in both those fights, uh, personally. That's just how uh, just how I feel about all of it. Also um, announced, which I don't know if we talked about on Thursday's episode. I'm starting to think we didn't. Was uh, for UFC 299, Felipe Linz will be taking on Ion Kudalaba in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Felipe Linz, he's fought at heavyweight, fought at light heavyweight. Uh, I believe he beat Ovin St. Preux last time out. And as for... I mean, Ayan Kudalaba, Heald's wins over Khalil Roundtree Jr., Devin Clark. I mean, he is a super fun fighter to watch. It should be exciting to see all those guys go to battle. And girls, guys and girls, going to battle. We don't segregate on the ladies' part. I will say, for UFC news, it was a huge letdown seeing that there was nothing announced at the Super Bowl. The rumor was that maybe at UFC 300 um, there would be an ad for it, but nonetheless, there was not um, right now. All we can hope is for something good. So yeah, Driscus Duplessis versus Asanya. Driscus Duplessis versus Hamza Chimaev is also an option from what I'm seeing. And uh, Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad, I kid you not, are all in play to be the main event. And I honestly really hope it would be Bilal Muhammad because that would be so funny. Because I think everyone would just kind of be like, are you kidding me? Because, you know, Bilal Muhammad, notably a hated fighter. Um, he is uh, super funny. Super funny. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, I, I can't really hate him. I can't really hate him, but... Yeah, uh, you know what? I won't ramble on much more. We got other stuff to talk about on the pod. That's all your UFC news for now. We'll be back. We'll be back Thursday, though. We'll be back Thursday with some new UFC news. I say we move into the 48 Laws of Power because we got some new fun laws to talk about. You know, I, I never realized how popular this book was, The 48 Laws of Power. Um, one of my buddies actually told me that he read it a while ago and that he still reads it to this day. And I've actually got my dad hooked on reading it now. And it's just so informative. It's so interesting to hear these laws to obtain power. And I'm, I'm thinking I might try and try and put some more of them to use in my day-to-day life so I can become the most powerful person in the world. I'm very much joking, but let's continue to dive through Law number 30 says, make your accomplishments seem effortless. Here's what the judgment says. Your actions must seem natural and executed with ease. All the toil and practice that go into them and also all the clever tricks must be concealed. When you act, act effortlessly as if you could do much more. Avoid the temptation of revealing how hard you work. It only raises questions. Teach knowing your tricks or they will be used against you. This is a very fair point. I mean, everyone likes to think that when you succeed, you can do it without any issues without any harm you can just become the man with no effort put in but unfortunately it always takes a lot of effort and that's just kind of how it goes in the world but I mean I've been I've been honestly trying to do this I notice whenever I say things whenever I do things now I just have to make it seem easy I have to make it seem like it wasn't hard when maybe it would have been um I'm trying to see if there's a fun quote they had a lot of stories in this one it was about this um there's this Japanese family, um, Rikyu, I think it was, and he had something very nice in his garden, and he had this very famous man visiting him, 
when the famous man pointed out that there, oh, there wasn't something in his garden that would make it fit, and he, Ricky or whatever, the owner of the garden or whatever, he sent a bunch of his servants, he worked super hard to obtain uh, something for this garden overnight, and when he brought it back, the, uh, the whoever the visitor was, the noble visitor, uh, was basically like, wow, I don't even know how you did this, and Ricky was very, very low-key about it. Basically, basically, it was just like, it just happens, you know? And when you're graceful, you know, you, uh, you're able to make people seem like it takes no time and effort to do something, you really can uh, seem powerful. They also talked about how Harry Houdini was always able to do his tricks and make him seem at ease. And even when uh, he could, like, do them fast, he would uh, always kind of drag it out, which is actually another law. But as for a lot of his things, he always made it uh, seem pretty simple. Here's a good quote from the wonderful Balthazar Gracian. Keep the extent of your abilities unknown. The wise man does not allow his knowledge and abilities to be sounded to the bottom if he desires to be honored at all. He allows you to know them, but not to comprehend them. No one must know the extent of his abilities lest he be disappointed. No one ever has an opportunity of fathoming him entirely. For guesses and doubts about the extent of his talents arouse more veneration than an accurate knowledge of them. Be they ever so great. So yes, it's all about what people see. They don't really need to know how you do it. Here's something from Adam's uh, Curse, written by William Butler Yeats in 1865. A line of poetry will take us hours, maybe. Yet if it does not seem a moment's thought, our stitching and unstitching has been not. Hmm, what could that possibly mean? Well, it could pertain to how long it takes to write something, and yet how fast it takes us to read it, which you can really think about when it comes to a lot of things in life. When people admire your work, they're just admiring. They don't know how much you actually put in to do it, which is which is such a such an interesting thought. That's such an interesting thought, such a broad thought. It's like so intellectual for no reason, but I mean, when you think about it, well, that's just how it is. Um, here's the image for you. The racehorse from up close, we would see the strain, the effort to control the horse, the labored, painful breathing. But from the distance where we sit and watch, it is all gracefulness flying through the air. Keep others at a distance, and they will only see the ease with which you move. The reversal to this is maybe just um, a zeal to conceal works creates an unpleasant, almost paranoid impression. You're taking the game too seriously. Uh, you basically have to be careful with how much you uh, concede. So much for every one of these laws, there's always a bit of a opposal, reversal, if you will. And as for this one, it just pertains to certain situations. Our second law, we're going to talk about law number 31, control the options, get others to play with the cards you deal. The best deceptions are the ones that seem to give the other person a choice. Your victims feel they are in control, but are actually your puppets. Give people options that come out in your favor, whichever one they choose. Force them to make choices between the lesser of two evils, both of which serve your purpose. Put them on the horns of a dilemma. They are gored wherever they torn turn. <laughs> I love this one very much where you can get others to do work for you. That's what I aspire to be. I aspire to own a business and get other people to make the money for me. I mean, that, is, that should be the dream for everyone. And even in certain situations where you may not want to do something, you give someone the option of doing two things that you would want to do, such as, let's say you don't want to go out super late, okay? So you give an option to your uh, friends, you're like, okay, guys, we can either do this or do this, and whatever one of the two options is, it best serves your interest in the end. So, sort of something like that. The uh, The amazing example they gave was of Ivan the Fourth, who was later known as Ivan the Terrible, and he always gave multiple options 
to um, his common folk, his people over he ruled over, and they would always benefit him. And he's always careful with what he said and did so that it always benefited him, which is as selfish as it may seem, what a lot of us need to do to uh, not, not fall to the bottom of life. Here's a fun quote from the Little Brown Book of Antidotes written by Cliff Fademan Ed in 1985. J.P. Morgan Sr. once told a jeweler of his acquaintance that he was interested in buying a pearl scarf pin. Just a few weeks later, the jeweler happened upon a magnificent pearl. He had it mounted in an appropriate setting and sent it to Morgan together with a bill for $5,000. The following day, the package was returned. Morgan's accompanying note read, I like the pin, but I don't like the price. If you will accept the enclosed check for $4,000, please sent back the box with the seal unbroken. The enraged jeweler refused the check and dismissed the messenger in disgust. He opened up the box to reclaim the unwanted pin, only to find that it had been removed and its place was a check for $5,000. So let's kind of try and break that down a bit. So J.P. Morgan, you know, uh, notable, what was it, robber baron of his time, notable billionaire, trillionaire, if you will, ruler of the world. Um, wanted this pearl, found a jeweler who he's like, hey, give me this pearl. Give me, give me, what was it? He wanted a pearl scarf pin. Jeweler makes it for him, sends it with him, says, here, take $5,000. Uh, no, here, well, I'll give this to you for $5,000. You know, there's a certain trust between them. And Morgan sent it back, and on top of the package was a note that says, I like the pin, but I don't like the price. If you accept the enclosed check for $4,000, send back the box with the seal unbroken. You know, he's like, okay, I want a thousand bucks cheaper. The jeweler refused the check and dismissed the messenger in disgust, and he opened up the box to reclaim the unwanted pin, only to find that it had been removed. Its place was a check for $5,000. So here's, here's the thing to it, is that... J.P. Morgan would have either sold this to him for $4,000 or he would have gotten it to him normally. So he got the pearl or he got the discount. He, you know, it was kind of set up where he was going to get whatever he wanted no matter what, which is super, super interesting when you look at it like that. Some of the keys to power. Words like freedom, options, and choice invoke a power of possibility far beyond the realm of the benefits they entail. When examined closely, the choices we have in the marketplace, elections, our jobs, tend to have noticeable limitations. I noticed that a lot. We are limited so much more in our lives than we are made to seem. I mean, come on. You cannot just go out and do whatever you want. There are limits to things. This unwillingness to probe the smallest of our choices stems from the fact that too much freedom creates a kind of anxiety. The phrase unlimited options sounds infinitely promising, but unlimited options would actually paralyze us and cloud our ability to choose. Our limited range of choices comforts us. The following are among the most common forms of controlling the options, such as color the choices. And this was a, a favored technique of Henry Kissinger, uh, President Nixon's Secretary of State, who pretty much secretly ruled President Nixon without him realizing it. Um, Kissinger would propose three or four choices, each for a situation, and no matter what, they would all benefit him. And uh, what he would kind of do... Well, they wouldn't all benefit him, but he would make him choose the best one. So basically be like, do you want the red one? Do you want the blue one? Do you want the green one? Or do you want the yellow one, which is super nice? You kind of throw something in with something. You kind of downplay the others. Like, do you want this blue thing that kind of like wears out? Do you want this red thing that gets kind of old? Or do you want this green thing, which is everlasting? You know, stuff like that. Another technique, or uh, was it a form, if you will? Force the, re force the resistor. Force the resistor. One of the main problems faced by Dr. Milton H. Erickson, a pioneer of hypnosis theory, 
therapy in the 1950s was the relapse where his patients might seem to be recovering rapidly, but their apparent susceptibleness um, to whatever he was doing was kind of wearing off. So they would relapse into their old habits. They would blame the doctor and stop coming to him. So to avoid this, Erickson would give them the choice to relapse before or relapse after. So they were already thinking about it. And this is a good technique to use on children and other willful people who enjoy doing the opposite of what you ask them to do. So you push them to choose what you want them to do by appearing to advocate the opposite. So what Dr. Milton would do, he'd be like, okay, so you can either you can either relapse now or you can relapse later, okay? And no one's going to want to relapse now, okay? There's, I mean, relapse later, I mean, so they're going to choose to relapse now. This kind of works with children, like, okay, do you want to brush your teeth or make your bed first? You can choose to do one or the other. You know, you don't really say like, hey, um, do you want to go make your bed? Hey, do you want to go brush your teeth? Now you say, hey, which one do you want to do first? That's kind of how you do it. Another form is alter the playing field. John D. Rockefeller sought to create an oil monopoly, but he knew if he b b bought up all the smaller oil companies, they would figure out what he was doing and fight back. So instead, he began to buy up the railway companies that transport the oil, which then forced the other companies to go through him, which is such a genius move in this tactic. Your opponents know their hand is being forced, but doesn't matter. The technique is effective against those who resist at all costs. Another form is the shrinking options. The late 19th century art dealer Ambrose Villard perfected this technique. Customers would come to his shop to see some Cezannes, which are some famous paintings. He would show three paintings, neglect to mention a price, and pretend to doze off. The visitors would have to leave without deciding. They would usually come back the next day to see the paintings again, but this time Villard would pull out less interesting works, pretending he thought they were the same ones. The baffled customers would look at the new offerings, leave, leave to think them over, and return you again. Once again, the same thing would happen. Villard would show paintings of lesser quality. Um, finally, the buyers would realize they had better grab what he was showing them because tomorrow they would have to settle for something worse, perhaps at even better prices. Um... A variation of this technique is to raise the price every time the buyer hesitates and another day goes by. And you hear this all the time. It's like, oh, this deal will only last for one more day. And then you actually look tomorrow and it went up a dollar. You're like, okay, I'll wait again. It went up $2 tomorrow. So if you keep shrinking down the options, keep raising the price a bit, you can kind of play your hand. Another one, the weak man on the precip. The weak are the easiest to maneuver by controlling their options. The great 17th century provocateur Cardinal de Retz serves as an unofficial assistant to the Duke of Orleans, who was notoriously indecisive. Um, it was a constant struggle to convince the Duke to take action. He would hem and haw, weigh the options, and just wait until the very last moment. We all know people who wait till the very last moment. But what Retz discovered was a way to handle him. He would describe all sorts of dangers, exaggerating them as much as possible until the Duke saw a yawning abyss in every direction except one, the one Retz was pushing him to take. This tactic is similar to color the choices, but with the weak, you have to be more aggressive. You have to work on their emotions, use fear, terror to propel them into the action, fun stuff. Try reason, and they will always find a way to procrastinate. And I have a buddy who is just like this, and I think I might have to start using this technique on him. Another one, Brothers in Crime. This is a classic con artist technique. You attract your victims to some criminal scheme. You create a bond of blood and guilt between you. They participate in your deception. They commit a crime and are easily manipulated. Um, the great con artist uh, named Serge Stavitsky in the 1920s, he entangled himself in the government so much that uh, they didn't even dare prosecute him once they found out that he was swindling them. Uh, because, well, they would have been exposed themselves. Um, their involvement can be subtle in this scheme. Even the hint of their involvement will narrow their options and buy their silence. This one seems more maniacal. 
Another one is the horns of a dilemma. This is from what we talked about way earlier with the two horns of whichever way you go. Um, this idea was actually demonstrated by a general in the American Civil War. Um, basically, um, some sort, another general was deciding which way to go from the left or the right. So he divided his army into two wings. And so whichever way the rebels attacked, they would be hit, you know? So th let me paint the image for you. The horns of the bull, the bull backs you into the corner with its horns. Not a single horn, which you might be able to escape, but a pair of horns that trap you within their hold. Run right or run left. Either way, you move into their piercing ends and are gored. Here's a good quote from the great Nicola Machiavelli. For the wounds and every other evil that men inflict upon themselves spontaneously and of their own choice are in the long run less painful than those inflicted by others. I mean, come on. You 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 want to if you're gonna do if you're gonna harm yourself, you want to do it to yourself. You don't want someone else to harm you. Then you just get angry. Then you just get upset. You're like, well, I, I got swindled by this guy. You know, if you swindle yourself, you only have yourself to blame. But when you have someone else to blame, ooh, you get angry about that. Our final law for today, law number thirty-two, is play to people's fantasies. The truth is the truth is often avoided because it is ugly and unpleasant. Never appeal to truth in reality unless you are prepared for the anger that comes from disenchantment. Life is so harsh and distressing that people who can manufacture romance or conjure up fantasy are like oases in the desert. Everyone flocks to them. There's great power in tapping into the fantasies of the masses. I mean. The example they gave here was this guy who went by the name of, where, where is it at? Bragda, Bragadino, Bragadino. This was in the high Renaissance era of Europe, and it was, um, he basically was somehow able to spread rumors that he could turn anything into gold or he could he knew a way to multiply gold. So Venice brought him in because they were becoming very poor, and they put him up, and he lived a super high life, and he kept saying, like, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this. And, you know, when they came to him, they're like, hey, you know, you're not living up to your promises. You're not doing this. He said, well, now you need to wait seven years for this to happen. So they waited a year. They waited two years. And by the third year, they're like, all right, we're sick of this. Get out of here. And so he left. But there was always the thought that the promise of him being able to multiply all their gold would come to fruition. So they brought him back, put him up in a high rise. And he basically lived this high baller life with um, – I didn't even find out that he was actually a scammer. Um, his name was Siprat Magmuna. He had lived in Venice for several years, but he reincarnated himself because he saw how the gloom had settled on the city and everyone was hoping for a redemption from some indefinite source, and he became that indefinite source. This comes from the great Charlatans who mastered controlling people. Here's a quote from Emperor Tokugawa Iyusu of Japan in the 17th century. If you want to tell lies that will be believed, don't tell the truth that won't. That quote is super powerful. That might be quote of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we have found our quote of the week. I'm going to I'm gonna have to pin it right here. If you want to tell lies that will be believed, don't tell the truth. That won't. If no one's going to believe your truth, then why even tell a lie? But if you can tell a big lie, there you go. Um, David Hume had this quote, No man need despair of gaining converts to the most extravagant hypothesis who is art enough to represent its favorable colors. So no man... Needs to worry about gaining converts to his extravagant ideas when uh, they haven't even they they have bad colors. I don't even know some of these. Some of these are kind of weird. Um, but here's how they kind of compare the reality to the fantasy. They bring up I believe it's four different comparisons. Yeah. So one is the reality is change is slow and gradual. It requires hard work, a bit of luck, a fair amount of self sacrifice, and a lot of patience. 
The fantasy you can portray is a sudden transformation that will bring a total change in one's fortunes by passing work, luck, self-sacrifice, and time in one fantastic stroke. Another reality, the social realm has hard-set codes and boundaries. We understand the limits and know that we have to move around the same familiar circles day in and day out, but the fantasy is we can enter a totally new world with different codes and the promise of an adventure. Ooh, that's a good one. Another reality, society is fragmented and full of conflict. The fantasy, people can come together in a mystical union of souls. Like, oh, it's harmony. It's absolutely amazing. Um, the reality, death, the dead cannot be brought back. The past cannot be changed. The fantasy is sudden reversal of this intolerable fact. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of these, lot of these are kind of like, what are you going to do with these? Um, but, you know, there's something you can put into effect. Um, let me think of something I could do. You know, it's all about it's all about promising someone more than you can. I think my use this when I'm getting a job is I can promise just an unsurmountable amount of change that comes to wherever I go to work. When in reality, I might not change the job too much, but if I promise, you know, the idea of me being able to change the company in the summer I'm there, that could be something. Here's the final image to paint for you: the moon unattainable, always changing shape, disappearing and reappearing, we look at it, imagine wonder and pine, never familiar, continuous provocative dreams, do not offer the obvious, promise the moon, ooh, I really like that, I really like that one, you know, just go big, it's go, you know, the saying, go big or go home, it has a very foundational meaning, you know, I mean, come on, I feel like, I feel like I got promised the moon to a lot of people, and I got a lot of people counting on me, you know, that's what happens, when you are primed for success. Those will be our 48 Laws of Power for this episode. Fun, fun stuff. Fun stuff. I always love reading about the 48 Laws of Power. Read it before bed. Read it during the day. I read it all the time. But what's up next? I mean, I want to talk about the Super Bowl before we talk about UFC Vegas uh, 86, our review of the uh, fight night. But I, I did I did take note of some movie trailers and some commercials from the Super Bowl. So we're going to look at some of these movie trailers and commercials or talk about them since I can't really show them. We're not really at that level of uh, scientificness, technologicalness. And I don't even know if I could because of copyright, but there's a notable amount of commercials. I mean, there are some weird ones. Uh, favorite? If I could choose a favorite commercial from this year's Super Bowl, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really have one, if I'm being honest. I mean, uh, gosh, I you know, honestly looking through them, there's just none that really piqued my interest. None that I just went, wow, that was so memorable. I just went through and watched a video of the recap, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I recognize that one. Yeah, I recognize that one. Yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Yeah. First one that came up, um, Popeyes with Ken Jong. Uh, I believe that's his name, Ken Jong, Kim, Kim Jong, whatever. He's been in a lot of shows. I mean, he was in The Hangover. He was like Dr. Kim or Ken or whatever on ABC. I mean, super funny guy. He was in some Popeyes commercial, which I'm like, Popeyes, they're still, they're still that big. I mean, honestly, I, I never, I never get Popeyes. Does anyone, does anyone get um Popeyes at all? I, I don't even know if there's Popeyes around here, but. You know what? He basically had like the own frozen scene from like Austin Powers when he like comes up and he's like freezing and they like, drive him off or whatever. But then he was just like in today's society. It's kind of annoying. It's kind of annoying when I look back on it. So not the best. 
There was, was a Skechers ad with Tony Romo and Mr. T. It was just Mr. T yelling and Tony Romo being his normal self. And I won't lie, Tony Romo and, oh my gosh, what, who, whoever Tony was with on the Super Bowl broadcast, they were just... They were just un unbelievable with some of their commenting. It was so brutal with the Taylor Swift and how good Patrick Mahomes is. It's getting annoying. Oreo ad commercial. It had like the Trojan horse, aliens. Um, card one of the Kardashians, like the mom Kardashian, she was in it. I don't know what was going on there. You had a Doritos commercial where at the very end Jenna Ortega showed up. She's actually in a film with Martin. Uh, not Martin Short. It's the guy from The Hobbit. It's the guy from The Black Panthers. He's like a detective where he's like a professor and she's like a student. There's like this weird sexual relationship. I don't know. Like it, that, movies like that give me weird vibes. Was a T-Mobile ad? Boo, T-Mobile, where you had the two guys from Suits doing like an audition tape. Bradley Cooper was there with like his mom. Jennifer Hudson was doing it. The one lady from Jurassic Park, like the original one, she was in it. I mean, a lot of celebrities. The whole theme of the, all these commercials was just celebrities, celebrities, celebrities. Nothing that actually made me want to buy the product. So many Timu ads. Oh my gosh, Timu, Timu, Timu. Timu just kills me. It's such a scam. Hellman's had an ad. That's right, mayonnaise. I don't like mayonnaise at all, personally. Uh, it was with Pete Davidson, this chick from SNL. She's also been in movies. Cannot think of her name. It was with a cat or something super dumb. Eminem's had a commercial with Scarlett Johansson, some NFL legends. Booking.com at Tina Fey. There was a lot of ads for houses.com and apartments.com. They must have gotten a big budget this past quarter. Drumsticks had uh, one on a plane with like Eric Andre, super weird. Pringles with Chris Pratt. I love that Chris Pratt is always portraying people. He's portrayed uh, Mario. He's going to be the voice of Garfield. He was a Pringles man. It's kind of getting comical. Mountain Dew, the chick from Parks and Rec was in that, the one who like was Chris Pratt's girlfriend in the show. Uh, it was a Baja Blast then. I do like Mountain Dew Baja Blast. I'm actually going to pick some up later, not even going to lie. Starry had an ad with Ice Spice. And I won't lie, as much as it is to joke about Ice Spice, she is actually so annoying. It actually is just kills me. And she was up there with Taylor Swift celebrating. She's such an industry plant. It is just unbelievable. Uber Eats had a... Actually, I like the Uber Eats one. It was like Jennifer Aniston was in it. It's like Uber Eats will make you forget something. And like everyone was forgetting like simple things. It was dumb, but I'll pick that as my favorite. Okio was like the yogurt. It had Shannon Sharp and the one guy from Bad Boys. That's not Will Smith. I uh, cannot remember his name for the life of me. He was in it. And I think one of the most popular ones was the Duncan one with Jennifer Lopez, Tom Brady, Ben Affleck. Uh, oh, my gosh. The one act. Ben Affleck's buddy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I can't think of his name. It'll come to me. He's been in so many movies. But, um, yeah, Duncan, probably with the most popular one. But I don't really care for Duncan. Donuts are overrated, and I do not care for their coffee, personally. I'm not a big coffee guy in general. don't really like the Duncan frozen coffee. I've only had it once, though, so I suppose I can't judge too much, too much. Movie trailers, though, that is where the fun comes in. I'm a movie guy, and they had so many good movie trailers. I was absolutely loving it. Uh, one, actually, that comes to mind right off the bat before I get to my little list I made was the one with um, John Krasinski directed it, um, A Quiet Place. It's like day one, and it has um, some, I don't know who the main lead is, but it does have the guy, oh, he's been so many shows, y'all would recognize him, been in the MCU, he was Ronan the Accusers, like right-hand man. Um, oh my gosh, it looks good. It looks good, it's basically right when the monsters first get there, and people don't understand that if you make noise, they get you, and it kind of takes the approach of the movie's gonna start off loud in like the city, and just go to pure silence. I'm here for it. I don't even know when it comes out, but I'm excited for it.
One of the most excited movies um, that I am excited for that they showed a teaser trailer, if you will, for was Deadpool 3, which is titled Deadpool and Wolverine. It's going to be so fire. It comes out in July. It's basically Deadpool. Of course, at the end of the second one, he got like this watch that lets him manipulate time. The TVA from the MCU comes at him and they bring him in and say, hey, you're part of the MCU now. And he's doing so many fourth, fourth wall breaks. I mean, he is just fighting everyone. Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, amazing. Love it. Another Ryan Reynolds movie that is coming out, which I just have no interest in, it's definitely a kid's movie, is called If, which is like an acronym for Imaginary Friend, and it, it just does not look good at all. Like, no appeal. Like, I'm never going to be in a scenario where I'm like, I want to watch that, even with Ryan Reynolds. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, speaking of superheroes, The Boys, you know, they had an ad. The Boys, of course, TV show on Amazon prime uh they had an ad but it was like how they they don't do ads like normal people they run it through like their fake news program or corporation called vot it's like their tv ad was like an actual ad they would run in their universe it was pretty funny didn't really give us a time i'm hoping the boys comes out in summer at some point i am pumped for it though homelander is such a crazy character to see love billy butcher love huey love the whole boys cast and crew interesting movie coming out this year is Wicked, which is based on The Wizard of Oz. It has Aria Grande in it. Absolutely no interest from me personally, but it is weird to see adaptions like that coming to life with uh, with like a remake. It's not even a remake. It's just like, it's like a weird, I don't even know how to describe it. I guess it's a remake, but it's like not official remake. I don't know. An official remake that they did show was Twisters. They're remaking Twisters. Of course, the movie from, I think it was the 80s or 90s called Twisters. Uh, basically about tornado, basically about storm chasers. Glenn Powell stars in it. Glenn Powell is taking over. That boy must have sold his soul to Hollywood to be getting all these movies. Um, it's be a lot of movies. Kung Fu Panda 4 coming out this year. I'll probably see that, but Kung Fu Panda 4 is giving me Cars 3 vibes. It's giving me the replacing Lightning McQueen with this younger female character, and I just don't care for it. I hate to see Lightning McQueen get passed up. I don't want to see my boy Poe get passed up. I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be pissed. I love my Kung Fu Man. I love the Kung Fu Panda movies. One and two are amazing. Three's decent. I don't know what I expect from the fourth one. Uh, speaking of Kung Fu, I mean, they have this John Wick, in, this Indian John Wick, like, knockoff, if you will, directed by Jordan, uh, produced, I should say, by Jordan Peele. The notable guy's done so many movies. Jordan Peele's done Get Out. He's done, what's another one I saw? Nope, he did that one. He did Us, a lot of horror movies. But this one is called Monkey Man. Um, or Monkey, I think it's Monkey Male, Monkey Man. And it's basically about an Indian John Wick. You know, he's Avengers family, he's kicking butt. Which I do like the ac action sequences I was seeing in it, but it, it was pretty goofy. It just say like, oh, it's an Indian John Wick knockoff. Other movie coming out in May, actually May 3rd, is The Fall Guy with Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt. I am, I'm looking forward to that movie. It does look pretty good, and I like Emily Blunt. I like Ryan Gosling, and you know, it looks like a typical Netflix movie, which I'm, which I'm all here for. It's basically about a stunt guy, and I think the main actor goes missing, and the stunt guy has to go find him, and he actually does real-life stunts. It's just how it goes. A little action movie with Ryan Gosling. That, that, that's right up my alley. And the final trailer, which I was absolutely in love with. By the way, no Godzilla vs. Kong, Godzilla times Kong trailer. That's disappointing. But I will tell you, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes dropped a trailer. And, oh, we can just tell more about the villain. There's like this evil monkey king, this evil ape king. The whole theme is like uncovering the past. Because now apes are fully in control of humans. And humans are like the primitive species. 
huge Planet of the Apes fan. I'm super pumped for this film. It is, I don't know when it comes out. I hope it comes out soon, like in the summer, in the May. I mean, I'm absolutely ecstatic. So Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, definitely my favorite trailer from what we saw from this past weekend. But yeah, those are my thoughts on all the trailers, all the commercials. There were so many. There was so many. It's time to just let them go. Not the movies, though, but the, the TV commercials. Kind of tacky, kind of dumb. Uh, what should we talk about next? I think we just have the Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen, and then my uh, little analysis of UFC Vegas 86. So, yeah, moving along nicely because I got a lot to get to today. Not not too long of an episode as we haven't had too much to uh, go over. Um, the Super Bowl, of course, if we all know, the Chiefs won 25-22. to It was... If the game got excited at the end, I mean, it was a super boring first half. Third quarter was kind of boring. Didn't pick up till the end. And just the fact that Chiefs won was so disappointing. It made me so sad. I was rooting for the Chiefs, man. Not the Chiefs. One I was rooting for the 49ers, man. And they just couldn't get it done. Oh, man. Patrick Mahomes wins Super Bowl MVP. Oh, and he became like... I think he became the one of the few like people to he set so many records. They love to they love to ride Patrick Mahomes, if you know what I mean. Um, game went from t- I mean Patriots. Uh, no, it was the Forty Nine ers scored first with a uh, I love how I said the Patriots. The Forty Nine ers scored first with a field goal. Then I think they got a touchdown. Uh, yes, uh, Chris McCaffrey p- t- passing, uh, catching a touchdown from Jawan Jennings. Super funny. Chiefs kicked a field goal right before the end of halftime. Chiefs then scored twice in the third quarter. Uh, really back and forth, fourth quarter. Um, Chiefs got two field goals. Uh, 49ers, I think, had a field goal and a touchdown. Yes, and they missed the extra point, or the extra point was blocked, which turned out to be one of the most crucial plays of the game. Overtime. 49ers take the ball first, you know. We all knew the rules. Apparently some of the 49ers players were saying we didn't know the rules. We didn't know that, the, oh, if we if we score first, then we'll get the ball back, but it wouldn't matter nonetheless. Um, Chiefs come back, score a touchdown. McCole Hardman from Badrick Mahomes, and yes, 25-22, to 22, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Look at the stats, the overview. I mean, oh, my gosh, it's so annoying. I'm just so annoyed, so annoyed. Team stats, Chiefs have 455 total yards, more passing yards, more rushing yards, more yards per play, more first downs, I guess better third down efficiency. They're in more plays. There were 10 punts in this game, which was very boring. Um, I will say the penalties were pretty even. Six called for each team, more yardage totals for the Chiefs. Time of possession, I mean, separated by two minutes in favor of the 49ers. And uh, two fumbles, though, by the 49ers and a fumble and a pick thrown by the Chiefs. This definitely wasn't the prime of both teams. We definitely kind of got kind of got a laid-back version of how good these teams actually are. The defenses are both these teams amazing. Offenses kind of sloppy. 49ers, final stats. I mean, Brock Purdy threw for 255 yards and a touchdown, ran for 12 yards. Not too bad of a Super Bowl, but not enough when it came down to the end. Juwan Jennings, one for one for a touchdown with a 21-yard touchdown pass to Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey rushed for 80 yards on 22 carries. Very, very nice from Christian McCaffrey. He also had eight catches for 80 yards and touchdown. Dude's a stud. Christian McCaffrey, you should have won MVP. 
Brandon Ayuk, three catches, 49 yards. Had a couple big plays. Juwan Jennings, four catches, 40 yards, and caught touchdown. Juwan Jennings got to be one of the few people to throw a touchdown pass and catch a touchdown pass as a wide receiver. Debo Samuel, three catches, 33 yards. Got injured at one point but came back. Very fascinating. Kyle Jusaic, um, two catches, 31 yards. Raymond McLeod, third at one catch. Chris Conley, one catch. George Kittle, only two catches for four yards. Wow, didn't do anything. Uh, Jair Brown was the man who got the interception, but Fred Warner with nine tackles and four assists was the stud of this uh, defense for the 49ers. Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, Chase Young, all getting sacks. Good stuff, boys. There was a very interesting moment where Daryl Luter Jr., uh, on a punt, it hit the back of his foot, and the ball bounced, and Ray Ray McLeod Jr. was not able to get on it, and that was a costly turnover, which led to a Chiefs touchdown. Um, very unfortunate. Jake Moody, 3-3 uh, three three on field goals. Uh, 55 was the longest. He actually set the record in the game for the longest super uh, kick in Super Bowl history, and it was then broken the next quarter by Harrison Butker with a 57-yarder. It was pretty funny. Uh, Mitch Wisnowski, though, had three punts, 50.8 average. Absolutely amazing. 254 yards on five of his punts, actually. It was not three. He had three in the 20, which is very good punting. Chief stats, Patrick Mahomes, 34 for 46, 333 yards, two touchdowns and interception, and rushed nine times for 66 yards. He's good. It's it's unfortunate. He's good. He's, he's He became the modern-day Brady faster than Brady became Brady, if you know what I'm saying. So I think that's why people are irritated with him. Isaiah Pacheco held the only 59 yards on 18 carries. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire did absolutely nothing. And his betting line was over under 9.5 yards, which I found fascinating. Travis Kelsey, 9 catches, 93 yards. Was trying to get the ball as much as he can to impress his super popular girlfriend. Not even going to name her. But Cole Hardman, 3 catches, 57 yards at a touchdown. Marcos Valdez-Scantling, 3 catches, 20 yards at a touchdown. It's funny. They caught the touchdown passes. Rasheed Rice, six catches, 39 yards. Couldn't get the yards up. Isaiah Pacheco, six catches, 33 yards. Just not much going on. Justin Watson, three catches, 54 yards. Nick Bolton, five tackles for eight assists. Was doing pretty good. George Karloftis had .5 sacks. Um, who had the other .5 then? Uh, how did... Oh, it was Justin Reed. I was going to say, why isn't it? Why is it? Tell me. Harrison Bucker, four for four on field goals. 57 longest. Hit the Super Bowl record. Um, 13 points put up just by Harrison Bucker. So you can thank half the point totals from Harrison Bucker kicking field goals and extra points. Tommy Townsend on five punts, average 50.8 as well. Good punting. The punters are good for both these teams. Townsend and Wisnowski, very impressive. But yeah, I'll end the season. Chiefs get their 15th win of the year. Wow. How about that? And I just realized that to win the Super Bowl, you would have to win 20 games because I assume you'd become the number one seed. Um, so you have to go 20 and 0. It used to be, it used to be 17, 18 and 0. But um, wow, pretty impressive when you think about it like that. For my little fantasy football league with me and Dane and Tyler and Landon, my three buddies, we got our points totals for our little playoff run. Dane comes in fourth with 268.76 points. He lost all but three of his players in the opening wildcard round, which was unfortunate. Christian McCaffrey was definitely the MVP, 31 points in the divisional round, 29 in the conference, and 30 fantasy points in the Super Bowl. 
You just can't beat them. But unfortunately, Dane didn't have enough players to gain more points. Landon coming in third with 336.26 points. He had Rasheed Rice in the Super Bowl with 10.4 fantasy points. And Patrick Mahomes, who after putting up 18 points in the wild card, 18 in the divisional, and 15 in the conference, explodes for 25.92 in the Super Bowl. Very impressive from Patty Mahomes. Uh, Gus Edwards didn't do much for him. Aaron Jones had a great wild card game looking back on it. And Jake Ferguson had probably the best fantasy performance, I think, of the playoffs with 37.3 points for the Cowboys despite losing to the Packers in the wild card. I was the runner-up with 352.13 points. Isaiah Pacheco got me 15 in the Super Bowl. Debo got me 7, and George Kittle got me 2. Just nothing from the boys. Nothing from them. Best performances, I mean, Josh Allen got me 33 in the wild card and 30 in the divisional. Uh, Pacheco did get me 18 in the conference and 17 in the divisional. Uh, David Montgomery had 19 for me in the conference game. Monron St. Brown had 18, 21, and 15, uh, respectively, for each three of his games. And George Kittle did have 18 in the divisional round, but um, decided not to show up for the Super Bowl, which makes me sad. Poor George Kittle. And as we get to our champion, Tyler Brischke, 389.89 fantasy points for him. 18 by Harrison Butker in the Super Bowl was so clutch. Travis Kelsey got 18 in the Super Bowl as well, and Brandon Ayuk had 7.9. I mean, Lamar Jackson had 36 for him in the divisional. That was massive. C.D. Lamb, 20 in the wild card. Devontae Smith, 22 in the wild card. And Harrison Butker just absolutely exploding. One of the best kickers in the game. Absolute pleasure watching Harrison Bucker kick that ball. Congratulations to Tyler. You win pride. I think you just win the pride of being better than us, if you, if you will. If you will. But I'll be back next year, and I'm going to try and organize fantasy football playoffs better. Maybe try and get it more strategic or something. I don't know. We'll work all that out. But with that, we are on to our final thing of the episode, our final tad bit, and that is reviewing UFC Vegas 86, which went down this Saturday. We had 14 fights to look at, and we'll have 14 fights to go over. Let's get right on into it. Kicking off the night, we had, of course, you know, we, you know, no, I was going to say, of course, we had a female fight to kick off the evening. No, we actually had a um, promising bantamweight bout between Daniel Marcos and Al Gorquin, and unfortunately, it was stopped in the second round after, due to a no contest, and it was after Daniel Marcos hit Al Gorquin with a low blow on accident, and Al Gorquin couldn't continue. So a no contest to open the night is never Promising, but just from how the fight was going, Daniel Marcos was clearly outboxing Al Gorkwin, the Mongolian murderer. Daniel Marcos will remain undefeated, but will now have a no contest on his record. It was such a sour way to open the evening, and I was really, really happy for Marcos, the way it was going. And then round two, I just checked in, and I was like, dang, Al Gorkwin got hit too hard in his bottom region. Oh, well, Daniel Marcos will be back at Bantamweight. I'm sure of it. We'll see what happens. We did, though, get the action going next up with Hyder Emil and Fern Garcia at featherweight. And to my surprise, you know, I correctly predicted Hyder Emil would win. By the way, we went 9-4 and four on the whole card, 4-2 and two on the main card. So pretty good on picks for the card. I'm surprised Hyder Emil got the finish, but this was honestly my unofficial fight of the night. There wasn't even a fight in the night on this card, but... Props to Fern Garcia. He showed some true heart in here because Hyder Emil was just throw it at him. He dropped him in round one. Fern made it to round two, but nonetheless, it was a standing TKO. 
Totals from the fight, 79 significant strikes for Hyder Emil, 26 for Fern Garcia, 109 total strikes for Emil, only 31 for Fern Garcia. I mean, oh my gosh, Hyder Emil was just bringing it to him. I love the energy from Hyder Emil, winning his UFC debut, improving to 9-0 and and getting his fifth career TKO. Very impressive stuff for Hyder Emil. As for Fern Garcia... Fourth straight loss, 0-4 now in the UFC, just got finished. That's probably bye-bye, Fern. That is uh, that's probably all probably all she wrote for you, but it was, well, it was less than stellar run. But, I mean, way to, way to break in new contenders into, into the division. And this was bloody, I mean. And Fern Garcia at times was throwing up submissions, trying to get uh, Hyder Emil out of there. He'd hit Hyder with a big shot, but Hyder Emil was just locked in, had the range going, had the power credit to him winning winning at featherweight we'll see how he does moving forward next up as i walked over to my uh buddy's house to uh hang out for the evening it was a light heavyweight matchup between zach palga and bogdan guskov and i'll be damned the uzbekistan did it getting his 13th career knockout improving to 14 15 and 3 as he knocks out zach palga in round number one earning himself 50k performance bonus and this was nasty this was nasty. Palga was outlanding him just by just slightly, just slightly 25. Um, I mean, uh, 17 significant strikes to 10, 25 total strikes to 19. Actually, favorite Bogdan. Looking at it, but Bogdan was just locked on us, locked on his head, and he hit Palga with an uppercut, kind of wobbled him, clipped him again, clipped him again, clipped him again. I mean, four to five straight shots all on the chin, and Palga went out cold on the canvas. I knew Bogdan Guskov was legit. I knew that Volkov Osmir may have been too much for him in his UFC debut back in September, but this was just perfect. Perfect for Bogdan Guskov. Very excellent. And his 13th career knockout, a 100% finish rate for... Does Bogdan have a nickname for the Cesarovich? Ooh, maybe. I don't know what that means, but... Oh, well, Zach Pauga now sits at 1-3 in the UFC with two two brutal knockouts, like actually getting knocked out um, losses. I don't know if he'll be back, but I do know Bogdan will be back. I don't know who. I like heavyweight. There is a matchup between Ion Kudalab and Felipe Lenz, which you mentioned earlier, going down on the prelims at UFC 299, March 9th. I think Bogdan versus the winner of that could be very intriguing. Good win for the ball, Bogdan Guskov. He did call out Anthony Smith, so that could be another option to Anthony Smith, currently ranked number 10 at men's light heavyweight. Given the prelims are rolling, we had Max Griffin and Jeremiah Wells, and this was a toss-up for me. The split decision does not go in my favor, though, as Max Griffin wins the split decision over Jeremiah Wells. Max Payne Griffin still getting it done at 38 years old. Good stuff, man. I mean, totals from the fight, 32 uh, significant strikes to 26 in favor of Jeremiah Wells. 43 total strikes to 36 in favor of Jeremiah Wells. Both men landed a takedown and had a minute 40. Of control time. Absolutely incredible. Uh, round one looks like pretty even. Both men landed their takedown round number one. More control time for Wells, but Max Griffin had more total strikes. Not much to really judge in this fight. Round two, Jeremiah Wells outstriking him a bit more. Griffin probably winning the third round. I, th- I kind of thought Jeremiah Wells won round one and two, but at the same time, if you're going to a split decision, it's anyone's game. Jeremiah Wells loses his second straight fight, which is very unfortunate. Pennsylvania native will now be 0-2. This last two times out, but uh, not too bad of a loss. As for Max Griffin, has been win-loss, win-loss since 2021. Keeping it, keeping it rolling. 
keeping it rolling, Max Griffin. Uh, yeah, that's something. That's something. Literally nothing happened. Literally nothing happened in this fight. It was uh, embarrassing. Is embarrassing the right term? Is embarrassing the right term for this? It was just boring. Boring is all the words we can use for this. As we kept it moving, though, things didn't get better until our final prelim. As our next up, we had Marcin Pracinial beating Devin Clark by unanimous decision. By the way, I did correctly predict that Bogdan Guskov would get a knockout. I did predict in round two, and I did predict Marcin Pracinial would win a decision over Devin Clark. His karate stance helped him in this one. Outstrikes um, doubled. Doubled all of uh, Devin Clark's stats. 101 significant strikes of 53. 112 total strikes of 53. And even landed a takedown. But this, the tale of this is that Pertrina out, outstruck him in round one. Got done. Same thing in round two. In round three, though, I mean, these two boys were gas. They were throwing for the fences. I mean, opportunities for both men to get knocked out. I actually thought Pertrina was out of it at points, but he was just eating shots and guy just walking him off. I mean, this was absolutely hectic. But not like a fun way. It was kind of fun, but not like a technical way. It was kind of like, wow, look how look how tired these big boys are. We need to get them. Uh, we need to get them on the stool. But yeah, Marcin Pacinio, good win for the kid. Uh, been win loss, win loss since 2021. Uh, back in the wing column here, though, good for him. Devin Clark is now on a two fight losing streak, and if we go all the way back to April of 2022, he's gone two and three. Um, he's been knocked out, been submitted, gotten a knockout. I mean, he's hit or miss, but Pracinio, good win for you. There you go. Next up, we had our only women's fight of the whole night as a woman's strawweight bout between Luma Loma Lukbunmi and Bruna Brazil went down, and I picked Bruna Brazil by decision, and instead it went to Luma Lukbunmi. Tolls from the fight, significant strikes 58-28 to 28 in favor of Loma. Total strike 73 to 52 in favor of Loma. Both women landed a takedown, more control time to Bruno Brazil with two and a half minutes, 255 seconds for Loma. I mean, Loma just outstruck her. That's all there is to it. Outstruck her through all three rounds. Very close. Not much to judge. A majority of the strikes she was throwing were to the body and at distance. So she's got that. But a boring fight. I, I was literally talking to two of my buddies during this fight. We were barely even watching. It was just so boring. Just. It's very unfortunate that it was bad, but that's what it is. Loma Luke Boomy now on a three-fight win streak, though. Okay, that is that is actually not too bad at all. And she's six and two in the UFC with her only losses to currently, and I and I quote, the number ten and number twelve women at women's strawweight. So Loma Luke Boomy could be looking at a ranked opponent soon. As for Bruna Brazil, she is now one and two in the UFC. Uh, one loss streak though. Uh, hit or miss, but man, I might have to ride with Loma Luke Boomy next time out. Impress me here with just uh, staying technical, getting it done. Good win for her. Next up, lightweight and Belogio Key. Okay, Belogio Key, he'd been coming off of a nasty round one knockout of Dylan Salvador back in August from the Contender Series. Out of his nine victories, six, I mean, out of his eight at the time, six victories have been by finish. He was on eight-fight win streak. I was expecting some ferocity from Belizeo Key as he took on Timothy Kwamba, who had just fought last weekend. Okay, he won last weekend um, and was fighting again on short notice, a week's notice. And this went to a split decision, which gives me no promise for Belogio Key's UFC career. And don't get me wrong, Belogio 
outstruck him significantly 60 to 33 total 61 to 35 both men landed a takedown Belogi defended five of the six that Timothy shot at him I mean neither man had much control time just under two minutes for both um but yeah I mean round one Belogi did outstrike him more round two Timmy outstruck him narrowly and then round three Belogi not really narrowly by eight he outstruck him so kind of narrowly this was not impressive at all, but Balaji is now on a 9-5 win streak. The Zulu Warrior will remain in the UFC. That's for Timmy Kawamba right now. He won on the Contender Series by decision. Not the most exciting. Didn't get a contract. But after taking a guy like Balaji to a split decision on a week's notice, I mean, after less fighting nonetheless, come on, let's let's get this guy another opportunity. This was this was all right. Final prelim of the night is Carlos Prates took on Trevin Giles, and we had a round three KO for Carlos Prates, but instead that boy decided to knock out Trevin Giles in round number two. And out of nowhere, too, I love the out of nowhere knockouts, and this was not even going in Carlos Prates' favor. Um, Trevin Giles was out striking him, clearly just getting the better of him in the exchanges. But then Prates kind of woke up, clipped him with a right to the head, dropped him down, didn't even follow up. That was night-night for Trevin Giles. Carlos Prates wins his UFC debut and gets his 13th career knockout, and he's now on an eight-fight win streak. Good win for the nightmare, Carlos Prates, 18-6 and six professionally. Trevin Giles will fall to 0-2 in his last two fights, 2-4 and four his last six. Um, hasn't won since March of 2023. But yeah, tough loss for Trevin Giles. That fight he was looking good in, but Carlos Prates just pulled it out the bag. Good stuff. For him. Oh my gosh. And Trevor Giles is nearly doubling his total strike, 68 to 37. And yeah, Prates, excellent stuff. Get him on the Brazil card. Get him on the Brazil card. Of course, Carlos Prates from Brazil. They're going there May. Uh, UFC 301 was at May 4th. Yeah, I would love to see that for Carlos Prates. Very, very fun. So yeah, prelims didn't treat us too uh, too kindly. The only big moments on the prelims was Bogdan, Haider, and Carlos. Other than that, we had four boring decisions and a new contest. But the guys who got finishes, good for them. By the way, Carlos Prates got 50K for his finish. As we moved into the main card, f- vibes were high. Vibes were high. Okay, I was almost promising. I'm like, okay, you know what? The prelims are the prelims. Okay, it doesn't have to be good. No one really watched them. Get the main card going, and Rodolfo Vieira, you know, I had Armin Petrosian picked all week, and I changed it last minute to Rodolfo Vieira, and it paid off as he gets a round one arm triangle, Armin Petrosian, to get 50K, and that will be Rodolfo Vieira's ninth career submission for the Black Belt Hunter. Good in for Rodolfo. That makes it two straight wins, and by the way, he now has four arm triangles in the UFC, five and three, five and two in the UFC, all those fights, but Chris Curtis have gone the distance, and all those fights he's gotten a submission or been submitted. Pretty funny. Armin Petrosian, nah, tough loss for you. Snapped a little two-fight win streak, but Armin just can't grapple. Armin just can't grapple. In the, uh, the short round that this fight lasted, he got taken down three of three times for two minutes and 46 seconds. I mean, Rodolfo just had his number, and... You know what? Um, Armin was saying he didn't tap, which was super odd because when the review, we looked back, he clearly did tap. He kind of did a little one-two tap. Like kind of stopped on the third, but it was too late. He had already tapped. Rodolfo Vieira, very impressive at middleweight. I don't really know who to pair him up against. If I'm being honest, um, I would like to see him fight a grappler next time out, but there's so many unranked middleweights. You got Julian Marquez, Chidi and Chukani, Jun Young Park. Actually, that Jun Young Park, 
I would like to see that. Jun Young Park versus Rodolfo Vieira. Book that fight. Jun Young Park, talented South Korean fighter. Uh, he can grapple. He can strike. Good option for him. But yeah, Rodolfo Vieira got the card going, and I correctly predicted he would get a submission. I said round two, though. But you know what? Better than nothing. Following that up, gosh darn it, I said Michael Johnson, unanimous decision, and the old bugger did. The 37-year-old gets his 23rd professional victory. Unreal. Michael Johnson, been win-loss, win-loss since 2021. I swear like a lot of fighters have been like that. As he beats Darius Flowers. Darius Flowers now 0-2 in the UFC. And just the tail of this fight is Michael Johnson being a veteran. Being a veteran, 30-27's him. Tolls from the fight, Michael Johnson, 61 significant strikes at 33, 80 total strikes at 52, 4 of 8 on takedowns for 6 minutes. We saw grappling Michael Johnson in this one. And, you know, he's out striking him on the feet in every round. But just in the final round, you know, Michael Johnson took a veteran move, kept taking him down, getting into side control, getting into top control. Michael Johnson was doing what he needed to to get, excuse me, the win. Very good stuff. Very good stuff, Michael Johnson. Happy for you. The menace, Michael the Menace Johnson. As for Darius Flowers, Beast Mode's his nickname. He's got a weird triangle tattoo. I'm not even like the Illuminati tattoo. It looks like an Adidas logo. Um, I have no idea. No idea if we're going to see Darius Flowers again. He did not really leave much to be advertised. He didn't really leave much to be desired, but oh well. Michael Johnson, you will live on as a legend, and the unranked lightweights will have to look out for you. He could maybe make a title run. Uh, if he could get two more wins, if he could get a little three-fight win streak, I'd throw him in there against Bobby Green. A little Rafael uh, Dos Anjos action. I'm joking. Michael Johnson has way past his prime. But he'll always be the guy who's knocked out Dustin Poirier and was the first man to beat Tony Ferguson. Very fun. Keeping us rolling. I mean, I, my vibes are so high right now. My vibes are so high as Gregory RoboCop Rodriguez, who liked our last podcast post. Thank you so much, RoboCop. Amazing that he liked the podcast. Gets his ninth career knockout as he finishes Brad Tavares in the third round. Absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. This was absolutely amazing. Gregory Rodriguez, a charm, a char, a darling, if you will. Tolls from the fight, Greg Rodriguez, 71 significant strikes to 37, 79 total strikes to 42, and even went 2 of 6 on takedowns. He decided to start taking down Brad Tavares. And I compared this to Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy back at UFC 2, uh, what was that, 66, back in September of 2021, where Greg Rodriguez just kind of realized in round number 3, I can finish this guy. What am I doing? And he just laid on the pressure onto Brad Tavares, absolutely beat him bloody on the feet. I mean, 24 total strikes to 5 in the first 55 seconds. Gets around number three, puts on the beat down just as he's about to go down. Uh, Jason Hergog steps in and stops it. Gregory Rodriguez, huge win for him, his second straight finish. And after getting knocked out in January of 2023, has bounced back tremendously. And I want to see this boy in the rankings, if I'm being honest. Chris Curtis, less than appetizing performance. I think Chris Curtis versus Gregory Rodriguez would be an amazing bout. Okay, I think that would be a very fun fight. If you ask me, even him versus Roman Dolodize, oh, Chris, Curtis and Chris Curtis or Roman Dolodize versus Gregory Rodriguez, that would be a banger of a fight. As for Brad Tavares, look, he's 36, been around a while, but he's now 1-3 in three his last four, been knocked out in two of those. I mean, it might be time to hang it up, Brad. Been in the UFC since 2010. You know what, you've had a good career, but... Gregory Rodriguez continues his ascent. Absolutely amazing. Happy for you, Greg. And I want to see you in the rankings. Not just because you like the podcast, but because I think you got it. I think you got it, girl. We'll take you on American Idol. Is that what they say? I never watched that show. 
final three fights of the evening, and one of the three was good, but we started off Ayor Portera and Robert Bazaic, and this makes no sense. This makes no sense. Robert Bazaic on a five-fight win streak, all knockouts. He had finished all his opponents, and Ayor Portera had just been brutally finished by Rodolfo Bellato back in December at light heavyweight. So what does Ayor Portera do in two months? Drops down from 205 to 185. Fights a guy who's been a knockout artist and beats him in a boring unanimous decision. I couldn't believe my eyes. Couldn't believe my eyes. Told us from the fight, a knockdown. A knockdown for Ayo Patera in round number three. Um, almost finished him, but didn't really have that finishing drive. Uh, 67 significant strikes to 32 in favor of Ayo Patera. 77 total strikes to 41. Did go 0-4 on takedowns, though. So, I mean, was trying to mix it up, but didn't work. Actually, had a really funny moment where he tried to do, like, a leg sweep. He looked like, looked like prime Tony Ferguson when he was warming up for his fights. Uh, good, good, good win, Ayo Patera. Good win for you. You get your 20th career victory. 20 and 5 now. Snaps a little two-fight losing streak you were on. But, I mean, Ayo Patera just has had the most random UFC career. Wins on Nehmet's Contender Series. His, what was it? What was it? His 15-fight win streak gets destroyed by Nicola Negomorano. He then retires uh, Mauricio Rua in Brazil in brutal fashion starts celebrating. Then, in May of last year, gets brutally knocked out by Carlos Uberg. In December, we mentioned, got brutally knocked out in a fight he was winning. Um, and now he's beating Robert Pazek. I don't know if Robert Pazek's going to come back. This was a short-notice fight for him. But, um, you know, uh, good for the 27-year-old from Ukraine. Botera has a giant tattoo of Jesus on the cross on his uh, sh- chest, which is just a wow. It's kind of like a wow image, but I'm very, very happy about that, Eric Botera. Co-main event. Absolutely love it. By the way, I picked Robert Bazaic, so that was unfortunate. But uh, Danny Ige, we did predict. I went Danny Ige round two submission for the memes, but obviously I was thinking round one knockout. And what is it with Dan 50K Ige when he fights an unranked fighter? He brutally knocks them out in round number one. This is absolutely crazy. As Dan Ige knocks Andre Philly out halfway through round number one to get his sixth career knockout. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, you know, let's go back and forth. And Danny Gay just rocks Feely with an overhand and lands a nasty follow-up punch. Puts him out cold. Andre touchy Feely. Oh, my goodness. And Andre Feely, by the way, since 2022, has been win-loss, win-loss. I mean, just come on. And lost that. Win-loss, win-loss. That's for Danny Gay. I don't think you guys understand. Is that Danny Gay? All right, we'll we'll start this back in 2020 when he was on a six-fight win streak and got a main event against Calvin Cater, lost that unanimous decision, then took on the unranked Gavin Tucker and knocked him out cold in 22 seconds. Wow! After that, gets a fight night against Chan Sung Jung, the Korean Zombie, and becomes the last man for the Korean Zombie to beat by unanimous decision. After that, loses to Josh Emmett in a very close fight where he got dropped in round one, but then fought back. Then after that, in June of 2022, got brutally outgrappled by Mosvar Evelov. Then, January last year, same scenario, on a three-fight losing streak, he's fighting an unranked guy in Damon Jackson, knocks him out cold in round number two. Following that, brutally beats Nate Landwehr in June, then gets outgrappled by Bryce Mitchell in September, and now again, fights an unranked competitor in Andre Feely, and brutally knocks him out in round number one. Andre Feely, Damon Jackson, Gavin Tucker, I mean... Danny Gay's collecting unranked rings, all right? He's almost there. He needs three more unranked um, fighters to knock out brutally in round number one to collect all the rings. I mean, impressive stuff. And I'm happy that he didn't have to fight Leroy Murphy, who, by the way, unfortunately, he got injured. Hopefully, we see him back in the summer in the UK. But I'm just happy for Danny Gay, man. You know what? Three and one is last four. 
his his losses in the last four years, four years his losses are to Calvin Cater, Chan Sung Jung, Josh Emmett, Mosvar Evloff, and Bryce Mitchell. All right. So Dan Ige, who's currently ranked number 13, his only losses are to the number 10, number 8, number 7, and number 5 guys in the division. Dan Ige will move up to the number, I'm going to say 11 spot. I'm going to say 11 spot. I'm putting him past Sadiq and Edson. I'm putting him right at 11. And I want to reward a performance like this. I really want to reward Dan Ige for this. I'm thinking a Giga Chikadze fight. I'm thinking winner of Sodiq Yusuf and Diego Lopez. That could be a fun fight. I'm even going as bold to say Arnold Allen versus Danny Gay. That would be a banger in Manchester in the summer, sold-out UK crowd. Danny Gay, Arnold Allen, I've landed on it. That's the fight I want. Plus, Arnold Allen, he's coming off a loss. He needs to fight down. And him versus Danny Gay, perfect matchup. As for Andre Feely, very tough. Live by a sword, die by a sword. Gets a beautiful knockout in December. Gets beautifully knocked out in February. That's how the season goes. It's like heartbreak, you know, you got that Christmas spirit and then the love of your life breaks your heart right before Valentine's Day. Did happen to me, but anyone who has uh, hates to be ya. Sorry, 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 sorry. All right, let's get to the main event. Let's wrap up this episode. Not too bad. Just over an hour and 10 minutes. You know, I kind of like when I these aren't too long. I was averaging two hours for a while, but these have been kind of chiller episodes, if you will, while I kind of wait for uh, specific moments before I... Uh, Revisit UFC 100 and 200. I think we're going to do those, the final two episodes before UFC 300. Uh, or actually, not even the one before the UFC 300, but kind of kind of like before that. And then leading up to WrestleMania, April 6th and 7th, we're going to be doing uh, every WrestleMania, revisiting every WrestleMania, pick out like my favorite match, best moment from all of them, where I was if I was watching them. Uh, and like sequences of four different decades, like 1 to 10, uh, 11 to 20, 20 to 29, 30 to 39, and of course this year is 40. And you know what? The rest of my season, you know, I can't help but get into it. As you know, a semi-WWE fan, you know, I only come around this time of year for the Royal Rumble and for WrestleMania, but is what is. Main event, that's what we're here to talk about. I get so sidetracked sometimes. As Jack Hermanson took on uh, Paul, uh, but what's it? My goodness, Joe Pfeiffer. What am I saying? Takes on Joe Pfeiffer and um, son of a gun, is there a UFC 5 EA Sports curse? Because every fighter they've added has now lost as Joe Pfeiffer gets fraud checked by Jack Hermanson. Jack Hermanson, ultimate gatekeeper at 185 pounds. Uh, fraud check is when a fighter is supposed Supposed to skyrocket up the rankings and instead gets beat. Um, this happened with who did this most recently happen with? Let me look at some past fights. Um, let me find a great example for you guys because what can, what can I show you guys? Um, I would say, I would maybe say, who can I give you guys? Who can I give you? Sodi Yusuf against Edson Barbosa, kind of a fraud check. Oh, Mike Mallett versus Neil Magny, a perfect example. Mike Mallett at UFC 297 last month was beating, uh, was beating Neil Magny and choked in the final round and got TKO'd. That's a fraud check. Astro Joe Pfeiffer, I mean, he started this fight off perfect against Jack Hermanson, all right? Was doing great. Outstruck him in round one, 24 to 16. Okay, round two, Joe Pfeiffer outstrikes him 22 to 19, defends a takedown, but it's getting a bit closer in striking. So Joe Pfeiffer up two rounds. Round three, though, Jack Hermanson puts on the pressure, 37 significant strikes to 20, 43 toll strikes to 20, and defends three of Joe Pfeiffer's takedowns. So Jack Hermanson wins round three. 
okay, you know what? It's a five-round fight. Anything can happen. Going to round four, Jack Hermanson. Altrex Joe Pfeiffer, 58 to 23. Defend three takedowns, significantly 33 to 22. Okay, Jack Hermanson has this fight all tied up. And in the final round, takes down Joe Pfeiffer, 52 total strikes to six, three minutes of takedowns, 16 significant strikes to only four. Jack Hermanson humbles the cocky Joe Pfeiffer. Unreal. And this made me sad. I, I feel like the consensus is everyone was thinking Joe Pfeiffer gets a knockout. Instead, Jack Hermanson refused to go down. Now, round one, Joe Pfeiffer hit him with some good shots, but Joe might have gassed. Jack used his advantage, and it's 48-47 across the board as Jack Hermanson gets his first win since December of 2022. Let me say this again. This is even crazier. Jack Hermanson is win-lose, 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 win since 2019. I mean, this boy has been win-losing a long time. Um, most notably, I mean, he's, he's been knocked out by Jared Cannonier, fraud checked Calvin Gastelum, loses a decision to Marvin Vittori, fraud checks Edmund Shabazi, and loses, um, to Sean Strickland, fraud checks Rick Curtis, loses Roman Dolodize, which is, that age, that win did not age well, after watching Roman Dolodize versus Nazarene Ibabov, and then we see him versus Joe Pfeiffer checking him, uh, check Manson, though. Good win for him now. 24th career victory for the Joker. As for Joe Pfeiffer, only his third career loss, and that's not too bad. I mean, come on, guys. He went from Alan Amandowski, Gerald Merchart, and Abdul Razak Alassane to Jack Hermanson. It was clearly too big of a jump for Joe Pfeiffer, although he did win the first two rounds. So if it was a three-round fight, he'd have won. Um, Joe Pfeiffer, I would like to see him take on someone like Marc-Andre Barriut, maybe even someone like uh, Abus Magomedov. Uh, Gregory Rodriguez, dare I even say. I'd even say Ayor Portera. There's a lot of unranked middleweights. Let's not throw them up to the dogs. But it's kind of funny that now him, Charles Jordan, uh, Mike Mallett, and who was the other Canadian they added to UFC 5? Uh, they had Myra Bueno Silva. Uh, they've all lost. They've all lost. I mean, Zhang Wei Li's probably going to destroy Yan Chaonin. Mino Bazi's fight got canceled. We'll see how Halt Nomain and here Gary do, but if they lose, then the UFC 5 sports curse is real. So real. Um, Jack Manson, though. That's a shame. Joe Pfeiffer's on a five-fight win streak, and it was snapped. Jack is currently ranked number 11. Um, he did lose to Roman Dolodizze. He was ranked 10, but Roman just lost. Jack just won, so maybe Jack Manson gets bumped up to 10. I've seen some people suggest he fight Nazardine Imovov, currently ranked number 8. I can also get behind that fight. I can also get behind that. Nazardine, as impressive as his win over Roman Dolodizze was, it does kind of leave some questions, so you could maybe do that fight. You could even do Jack Hermanson versus the loser of Robert Wicker and Paulo Costa. There's some options there. Winner of Paul Craig and Kyle Barallo versus him. Plenty of options for Jack Hermanson, but no fight of the night on tonight's card. We go 9-4 and four predictions, 4-2 four and two on the main card. Bogdan Guskov, Carlos Prates, Rodolfo Vieira, and Danny Gay all get performance bonuses for their beautiful finishes. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. Um, but I will say, another doozy main event going the distance. Not exciting at all. Uh, the, the UFC really needs to stop going to the Apex. It really needs to stop going to Apex. Now, the next two weekends, amazing. Absolutely amazing. We go to Anaheim for UFC 298. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Ian Topura. Turn in this Thursday for a full card breakdown, by the way. Absolutely pumped for that card. Going to be amazing. As well, 
February 24th, we go to Mexico City. Are you kidding me? Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Rival 2 and Yair Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega 2. I mean, come on. It just does not get much better than that. Does not get much better than that. But then we get to March. We're back at the apex with Yarzinga Rosenstruck versus Shamil Gaziev. Oh, boy. But then we get UFC 299, Miami, Florida. So March 9th saves us. March 9th saves us. UFC 299, headlined by Sean O'Malley and Marlon Vera. You get Dustin Poirier, Benoit Saint-Denis, Kevin Hall and Michael Page, Gilbert Burns, Jack Delavalle, Pure Young, Tiger Dog. I mean, oh my gosh, 299 is loaded. And then we go to the apex for Tai Tuivasa, Marcin Tibera. I'm sleeping. Then we go to the apex for Amanda Hebas and Rose Nabayudas. UFC, are you just giving away viewers? I mean, come on. We do get to go to Atlantic City, New Jersey, so we get a crowd. That will be better. Then we're at the apex for Marvin Vittori and Brendan Allen, which I do kind of like those guys. So, I mean, I'm going to be a little lenient on that criticism. But, yet again, that card's not stacked at all. And then UFC 300, April in Las Vegas. Boom, boom, boom. But, yes, out of our next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out of our next nine, dare I even say ten. Dare I even say ten. Out of our next ten UFC events, one, two. Two, three, four, probably five are going to be at the UFC Apex. The UFC Apex been producing some very underwhelming fights, but, man, I don't know. Hopefully, it'll turn around. Hopefully, it'll turn around. But on UFC 298, this upcoming Saturday, I mean, come on. Robert Wicker, Paul Costa, co-main event. Jeff Neal and Ian Gary. Boom. Rob Dwebichelli and Henry Sudo. Are you kidding me? Roman Kopila puts his five-fight win streak on the against Anthony Hernandez's six-fight win streak. Justin Taffa, the knockout artist, taking on the ranked Marcos Sergio de Lima. Amanda Limos and Mackenzie Dern, fresh off of brutal losses, looking to rebound. You get Rinya Nakamura, the undefeated Japanese sensation. Zhang Minyang and Brenton Ribeiro, two killers from Dana White's Contender Series and Road to the UFC. You get the return of Val Woodbird, who knocked out... Um, we got knocked out by Bonick. Okay, I've run out of people to hype up, but you get it. UFC 298 is loaded. Absolutely amazing. If I'm ranking events in 2024 as of right now, I am going to say UFC 297 has been the best. Then UFC Fight Night, Uncle Ivan Walker. Then I will say this was better than last weekend's card, but that doesn't say much. That does not say much. This was better than last weekend's card, but that doesn't say much. So... That'll do it. That'll freaking do it for this episode. But I don't know. Could have been a better card. But nonetheless, we get UFC, so I shouldn't be too negative. And I play silver on uh, Verdict MMA for my predictions. By the way, follow me on Verdict MMA ZR2002. I'm almost getting my uh, first red star on my black belt. You know, I'm good at picking like that. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. And you know, it's Monday. You don't know if you're going to listen to this right when this comes out Monday night. If you're going to listen to this Tuesday, Wednesday. But make this week your you-know-what. You know what? Conquer this week. I got a lot of stuff to do. You know, I'm worried about internships. I'm worried about my resume getting all touched up. I got homework in all six of my classes. I got tests to do, quizzes to do. I have so much to do. But guess what, guys? Give it up to God. He will provide for you. Amen. I just want to say, everyone. Have an amazing day, and I will catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.